This podcast is brought to you by Third World. That's all. We're just three immigrants talking trash. Talking trash. Hello, everybody. Hey, hey. Welcome to another episode of Three Immigrants Talking Trash. Trash. The world is burning, guys. The world is burning. What the fuck is going on with that? We had a minute after COVID and after the Omicron to just chill. You know, you guys went to New York. Everything was great. You come back and now there's a war happening. It's like we literally had one minute to chill. Yeah, and not even, right? I feel like some people haven't had the chance to chill. Like we went into pandemic mode and you will think that we will be relaxing right now after, you know, we find the vaccine. We found like I had anything to do with it. (laughs) (laughs) After we got the vaccines, the boosters and all of that, like just recovering from COVID, you will think that, okay, now we have changed as a humanity. We're more like evolved. We have evolved. And then boom, we'll go to war because there's a psycho guy who wants to bombard another country. And even the war itself, it looks so archaic. It looks medieval. Like really, like all this time that you're developing very high tech weapons and cyber and artificial intelligence and all these very precise missiles, you don't have a way to cause less civilian death. We came from the pandemic and we're working from home. So you will think that they will find a way to... To resolve issues without having to... Yeah, yeah. from home. Like you do it like with <laughs> sanctions. Like a more diplomatic way. It's the era of information why is it so obsolete you still see like buildings falling apart and civilians dying like you say like there's no way of targeting what they actually want to target it's like still so old like why are these people still in power we've been watching exactly the same thing happen in syria and in yemen for the past decade russia has been fighting in syria for at least six years now and now they're in ukraine now that they're in ukraine people are shocked but when him being in syria it's like oh okay nobody cares These tanks and buildings crumbling look more normal to us when it's Mm. in a setting like Yemen and Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria. Because Ukraine, from a distance, appears to be like yet another developed European country. I mean, I pray for Ukraine to win this honestly and for Ukrainians to stop losing their life. When is this going to end, though? Because after all the sanctions on Russia... At some point, this has to stop because this is really destroying their own country as well. Also, the Russian soldiers don't want this either. So can we just get on with life? I mean, I think if the Russian soldiers didn't want this, they would stand against their president and with the people. But I don't know. I'm not an expert on Russian politics. But I think the biggest problem is that the military is with Putin, not with Russian people. Please tell me, what is this happening for? Because I have looked up so many news articles trying to understand what exactly is the reason for this. Putin does not want Ukraine to join the NATO countries because Mm. all these small countries that were disintegrated from the Soviet Union are now either part of Europe or NATO. So he has all these little ex-Soviet countries surrounding Russia, basically with weapons pointed at him, saying that metaphorically, but because they are NATO, that whatever happens, they're going to be on the side of the Western world and they're going to have their artillery pointed towards Russia. So now Putin feels like I'm trapped, like there's no way I can accept this. So before you even attack me I destroy you that makes no fucking sense the whole thing doesn't make sense for me and for a lot of people they're saying that he's losing his mind he's getting too like too much of an egomaniac and stuff Mm. can you believe that the white helmets which is a rescue organization of volunteers in Syria put out a post giving their tips on how to deal with Russian violence because they've been dealing with it for six years oh my god and you know what shocked me one of those tips was do not give the UN any locations of hospitals 
because Russia will find them and they will destroy them. You're kidding. Like that was actually one of their tips. Don't share information of refuge with the United Nations. <laughs> the, like the United one organization Nations. you're supposed to trust, you know. Oh that God. is insane. We are seeing this war and we're seeing another wave of refugees and we're seeing a bunch of hypocrisy, how refugees are treated. Even journalists, the way that they report the news, they're saying that, oh, but look at these refugees from Ukraine. They're coming from a more civilized country. There are people that are Christian. They're easy to assimilate. So it's almost like there was no place in Europe for refugees from the Middle East. And now, in just a matter of a few days, millions of refugees from Ukraine were just received with open arms, you know, which is exactly how it should be. This is how you receive refugees or asylees because are people that are running away from their life and like this is how the world should respond and not the way that we see with other people of color. The footage that's been going around social media of certain hosts sharing the news about how this is all so shocking because we're not dealing with a country like Yemen or Syria has been ridiculous, like shameful. It's crazy that some of these hosts actually said what they said live. There's actually one right-wing French politician who was on live TV the other day and who said, I'd rather have Ukrainians come in basically than these waves of Arab and Muslim migrants that France had to receive only because of an emotional moment that we had when we saw the photo of young Syrian boy Alan Kurdi dead washed up on the shore. This created a wave of emotions and now look, we're dealing with millions of Muslim Arab populations that are not assimilating like we want them to and then the host was like okay okay so like straight up you're saying white christian refugees are okay and then muslim and arab refugees are not he's like yes oh my god and then a couple of days later he was getting out of a car and angry french civilians threw an egg on his head which i thought was very well deserved <laughs> It's like easy to blame Europe and the United States for not taking refugees. But if you look at the countries around a place that where refugees are coming from, they don't even want to take them. Mm. Like, for example, I'm from Venezuela and we have a massive wave of refugees. You see Venezuelan refugees all across Latin America and you see them facing so much racism and they literally have the same language, the same culture, the same heritage. And yet you hear stories of people burning the Venezuelan refugee camps. And you're like, okay, like you criticize so much sometimes the Europeans and the United States. And then like, I look at my own people and we don't even like our own. There's exactly the same problem in the Middle East. When the war started in Syria, nobody wanted to take in the Syrian refugees. Syrian refugees in Lebanon treated like shit. So many Syrian refugees in Jordan, also people are hating on them for creating economic crises. The Arab GCC countries don't take in any Syrian refugees. It's the same thing that Vanessa is talking about. It would be so much easier for Syrian refugees or for Venezuelan refugees to settle in nearby countries that have yeah. the same language. Yeah. But no, we make it harder for each other. Yeah, you make it harder for each other. It's like, oh, suddenly in Colombia, Venezuelans cannot find any type of work. So what are you going to do? You're not going to stay there. As a refugee who cannot work, you're going to try to go to the neighbor country. And then happens the same. And then the same. And then the same. And then you notice and you are in the border with the United States. You know, this is the reason why we hold the United States states and the European Union to a higher standard because these are countries that started war. They should be with open arms to everybody. If you're going to be 20 years in Afghanistan and 20 years in Iraq, yeah, you better take in Iraqi and Afghani asylees. You better. <laughs> what they're doing now with Mexicans seeking asylum at the border is despicable. You're supposed to be allowed to enter the country when you're asking for asylum. They're keeping them outside of the border. They're saying, okay, ask for asylum, but you can't come in yet. You gotta wait. 
and the waiting process is years. Why do you think this happens? Is it because a country lacks the resources and capacity to host other refugees? Absolutely. What is the actual issue here? The U.S. has plenty resources to host all these migrants. Look at how much billions and billions we pump into war and sending arms abroad. You're going to tell me you can't bring in additional workforce? Like, this is all mm. potential. And stop looking at them like thugs and that's bullshit. All refugees, when they settle in a different country, they are hungry to work and assimilate and be part of the culture there. They're also grateful that they're being given a place there, you know. So they're willing to go the extra mile. And it's eye-opening that we're seeing a crisis with European refugees because that's gonna allow us to see how refugees should be treated. Right. Literally any country should be prepared for a mass wave of refugees. Mm-hmm. Same way that we should be prepared for pandemics, we need to be prepared for a mass wave of refugees. And like a couple of cameras and drones at the border, it's not gonna do it. They're not gonna deter people. When people are fleeing from life and death circumstances, they will fucking find a way to pass that border. Countries should also be prepared for war. Like, how is it that just a common person like you and me, how do we protect our families? Say tomorrow, you know, Russia is bombing the United States and we need to get out of here. Where do we go? Like, in this time, it makes you think it would be nice to have contacts everywhere. So we need to get out, quickly get a visa for another country. It's like such a time of like reflection to think about what would happen if we were in that situation. You guys are seeking asylum. Imagine if this country were to be at war. Mm -hmm. Where would we go? Yeah. Yeah. But this is a situation of millions and millions of people. And only people who have been displaced, they are prepared for that. You know, like I need to have option B. If like I need to run away from this country, like I feel that we don't think about that. But other people who have experienced that or their ancestors have experienced that, they almost have it in the back of the head. Okay, where do I go when I have to run away? Exactly. Yeah. I was like six when my dad was teaching me, look, Baba, you always have to have one active visa in your passport in case we need to travel. You know, they always have this mentality. If I can put money in a bank that is outside of the country that I live in, that's good. If I can have a home that is outside of the country that I live in, that's good. So this is all like very Middle Eastern mentality. Yeah, and me as a native of Venezuela, I never had that thought I still don't have it you know now I'm opening my eyes to it but I never had that thought because I was born in my country everybody around me look exactly like me and I came to a different country to study and I'm like of course I'm gonna study here and I'm gonna go back to my country but what happened my country just went into shit and I couldn't go back and now I'm in a different country and what happens if I need to leave this country as well you know now I need to start thinking about that The good thing is that we are in the era of information. It's fascinating to me that you can follow the war in Ukraine on every platform. Like, for example, on TikTok, this woman is showing you how to prepare tea on a bomb shelter. It's a tragedy and it's heartbreaking. And at the same time, you get like a little peek into the world that they're scared as fuck and they're still managing to have some sort of normalcy. How can you have normalcy during war? I feel like that's the the first thing that they remove out of you, normalcy. It's mind-blowing. I recently traveled to New York and going to the airport after almost four years without taking an airplane and thinking that I might get COVID or whatever. I went to the airport and I was immediately anxious. Imagine there is a tank outside your apartment and you have to run away. Like, I would be paralyzed. You know what I mean? Like, I was just in the airport and I was going to across state. Yeah. Like, nobody was asking me for a visa or anything. I was, like, super chill. 
So having your world changing like instantly, instantly, may no one ever have to go through that. It is a very paralyzing experience when your whole world is turned upside down instantly. And the only thing you can hope is that somebody lends you a hand, that somebody opens the door and be like, "Hey, you know what? We are very advanced. We're civilized people. Enter. Like we're ready for you." Like how is the Europe is not ready for a mass wave of asylees and refugees? We know this story repeats itself. How is the South America not ready for a mass wave of refugees and asylees? That's so interesting. But anyways, have you guys been? It's been forever since we sat at this table and talked trash. Yeah, I've just been very exhausted. I think that living in Los Angeles continues to be very hard. And the more components you add to it, say for example, your family visiting or you trying to date, hoping to have a more wholesome life, I think the more things you add on to just being able to keep your head above water the more challenging it gets and right now i feel like i'm just trying to gasp for air 2022 vibes look you want to be there for your family you want your family support you love them you don't even have to mention that but i think just being able to balance time has been so challenging for me and i'm always interested in knowing how people do it because in spite of waking up at 4 in the morning and going to bed at midnight i still don't think i have enough time and i still feel that i'm disappointing the people that i love by not giving them enough time so it fascinates me that other people are able to you know have kids and run a household also have jobs and you know yeah, investments yeah. <laughs> how do people do it it's like you've got to be on some like really strong drug to be able to get through all of this and at the same time make time for yourself it's like i just feel like i'm losing myself in all of this that i'm trying to like run after me and pull myself out of wherever i've lost me maybe we should get someone on the show to teach us because really the three of us are like still trying to figure it out and we don't have kids personally just adding a partner to my life and like, the tiniest dog you can imagine <laughs> has been like this wave of responsibilities and chores and obligations you know <laughs> like i can't live without them but i'm just starting to wonder if i'm ever going to have savings to be honest <laughs> That's the other thing. I think we talk about this often where we're just like in the midst of all of this, I still want to do things like invest, but then for that I need to work more in order to have savings. You know what I mean? It's just this like constant just being stuck. It's really a long process, right? When I used to listen to musicians, singers talk about their journey, I would always hear like oh 10 years later, 8 years later and as a kid 10 years. Oh my god, it's like a century. And now it takes me 10 years just to get to like the next level of where mm. i'm at like not even to be mm -hmm. the next big thing you know 10 years just to be good at something I you know i agree with you completely and at the same time if you're working in the creative field i do think that there's no sense of guarantee as to it's, if it's ever going to materialize into something that you'd hoped for it to you can keep on working on it and you just you'll never know yeah. as an actress i know i've put 7 years of my life into this and now i'm finally getting really big opportunities but again i can put my whole heart and soul into doing those auditions and they could lead to nothing and it's hard to explain that to your family and the people around you who just don't see it ever going anywhere and i don't know how to explain that to anyone maybe you don't need to it's not their life i feel like i reached an age where i finally understand i don't need to explain everything like my parents for example there's a lot of things about my life that they don't understand and like i understand now that they will never understand and that's it it's just crippling to see someone have anxiety about your life like so vividly on their face when you are <laughs> yourself like, oh my god anxiety. i'm hurting you i'm hurting you you feel yeah, like you're hurting you feel guilty for having dreams that are hurting your loved ones and I don't know if this worse feeling. <laughs> so that's where I am at personally. How have things been for you guys? Wow, but that was like very like 
Ah, Debbie Downer. Debbie Downer. Anything uh, positive happen in your life? I was a stand-in for Priyanka Chopra. That was very <laughs> exciting. Priyanka Jr. How was that experience? It was actually a lot of fun. I got to work with really nice photographers from the UK. I basically felt like I was Priyanka till Priyanka stepped in. <laughs> but the setup was amazing. I've never seen something so grand before. It was for Max Factor that I got to be photographed by these amazing photographers and I felt like I was this huge celebrity till of course the celebrity walked <laughs> on set and I was like, "Okay, time for me to be." So you got to meet her? Yeah, I got to meet her and Priyanka is amazing. She's really sweet. She was giving me like life advice. She was like, "Oh, by the way, you should not let anyone say your name incorrectly." Love that. Because people were calling me Shishua, she Shoe. So she was just like, your name's Ayushi, and no one should ever be saying that incorrectly. Correct them. She was like, I've been doing that since I was a kid. She didn't have to do that. But the fact that she did, it just made me feel like, oh, wow, I'm being heard and seen. You know what I mean? And she continues to face those issues, even as a celebrity of this stature. That whole thing about like being called Deepak Chopra's daughter, just to like <laughs> associate two people because they have the same last name. It's mildly racist, right? I think celebrities actually go through a lot of disrespect from yeah. people in general. Like, yeah, they're put on a pedestal because we love them, we admire their work. But man, they have to deal with a lot of fucking assholes. Even when you're at the top, it never ends. Yeah, and it's a thin line between correcting someone and being an ass about it. You know what I mean? Because at some point, like, people will really push you and push you and you still have to maintain some sort of, like, decorum so that the press doesn't call you a diva. It's hard. You guys did something fun. You finally took a getaway, put your fears aside, or learned to coexist with them. <laughs> Went to <laughs> New York. Learned to coexist with them. <laughs> I wanted to go to New York because it's been 20 years since the last time I've been to New York. So I don't remember New York at all. And I wanted for my birthday to go to a place where I can experience movement. I just wanted to see things moving really fast. And I'm like, okay, perfect. Let's go to New York. And it's like my phone heard me and sent me every piece of bad news from New York. You know, women get punched in the subway. Women get killed in her apartment. And it's surprising because we read a lot of Asian hate happening in New York. And a lot of Asian women being victims of this hate. And a lot of old Asian women, like it was scary. So you get to see all those news and you're like, oh shit, I'm traveling there. I'm leaving the comfort of my home in the middle of a pandemic to go see movement. Like, how does that make sense? That's how I like to celebrate my life. I like chaos. Um, <laughs> but I think it's also important to open yourself up to all those things because yeah. otherwise we will just continue to live in our perfect California bubble. So it's exactly. important to sometimes just step away from it and also yeah. look at your own life yeah. from the outside and be like, okay, how privileged are we? I cannot tell you how in love we were with LA just coming back from New York. Like we've been in love with LA since we got here, but this renewed yeah, romance. Yeah, like see your lover again, you know, after yeah, a trip, yeah, yeah. you see your lover again and you're like, oh my God, you look so different. So going there, you know, at first I planned like a solo trip. I need to go by myself, punch people in the subway if they try to punch me. And of course that didn't happen. My partner decided to join me and then we decided to bring the dog with us. Traveling with a dog and your partner is like an extra layer of like, oh my God, if somebody punches, yeah. like, mm. what do I do? Like I run, I grab the dog. It's like you start like all these scenarios, you know, your paranoid mind, stop smoking weed. <laughs> so arriving to the airport, dude, after four years, you're like, oh, please, I don't want to get COVID. Please, I hope that the vaccine work. It was so scary, you know, to have people so close to you in a closed space where, like, you remove your mask, you hear, like, a couple of coughs. <coughs> You're like, oh, my God, why is this person traveling? Maybe choking with peanuts, we don't know. <laughs> anyway, it was scary. We arrived in New York, dude. Completely change of image. 
everything is so brown. The aesthetics just changed completely. And the weather just slaps you in the face when you get out of the hotel. Did you not think that New York, there was something great about the fact that you can just get to one place to another so efficiently compared to like Los Angeles being stuck in traffic? You know Bro, what I mean? the traffic there, we wanted to rent a car. No, I completely disagree. Really? We wanted yeah. to rent a car. That was the plan. And then we were really grateful that we didn't. A car in New York? Yeah, because I'm not gonna take the subway. Why? It's not oh, gonna happen. Cold. Oh. For any reasons. I just don't wanna take the subway right now. Like it's not gonna be part of my experience in New York. So everything I'm gonna do is ride share and taxis. That's it. So we didn't experience the subway. Oh my god. <laughs> At all. We yeah. walked a lot, but you know, when walking, everyone's close to you and everyone's in a hurry. At least I'm talking Manhattan, right? Yeah. I feel like the older you get, the more you're aware of just chaos happening in life, you know, just for no reason. And you're more aware of just violence being close. It, it can happen to anyone, anytime, you know, especially that before traveling, we were getting these headlines about hate crimes happening in New York and crime increasing in general, that we already went like very vigilant, right? And then while we were there, we're like walking around Manhattan with our dog, fucking face up in the air, looking around <laughs> us. You're, you're not so vigilant as a tourist, right? And then we go back to the hotel and like we're watching TV in the hotel room and there's news that one block down, there's a man who for some reason was angry and who punched a four year old boy in his head <gasps> just passing by and because in Times Square there are cameras everywhere there is footage and it, that's the chaos of life that you can literally be a four-year-old boy walking down the street and then someone just comes and assaults you right so his mom heard the punch she went for the guy and tackled him down to the ground and she kept him down until the police came and took him from her in oh the meantime he's like spitting on her and this man must have been mentally disturbed okay but you're still a victim to that. If that happened to Vanessa while we were walking down the street or to me or to my kid, if I had a kid, my God, like, how would you react? Of course, I would have done the exact same thing. I mean, we don't know. We don't know. Thank God we didn't experience that. Oh, my God. Anyway, we went to this play, The Lion King. Finally, I got to see it. Aww. It was amazing to see this type of art. We were so inspired that I wanted to learn more about it. So I found out that the director of the play is a white woman, you know, and oh. I saw so much African art and I'm like, oh my God, I need to find out like this woman must be a G because she knows the language or she's working with a lot of African artists mm. and she's advancing the community. I don't know. I'm curious to know. So I posted on my stories, right? And one friend reached out to me, mm. a white friend. They sent me a couple of messages that I would like to share with you guys. Yeah. This person reached out to me and say, it's a great show. So I answered, it was a great show. I'm curious to know how everything works, considering that the director is not African. And this is what the person said to me. Well, she's white. Absolutely have to fight tooth and nail to tell an African version of the story that no Africans were willing to tell. It was before your time for sure. That show has been on Broadway for 20 years practically. Not all white people are ethnocentric. Look at Kevin Costner. He tried to make dances with Wolf for nine years and no network would fund it because they say no one wants to watch a movie about a white civil war soldier who becomes a turncoat and falls in love with a native woman and gets accepted by the tribe. And he said, yes, they do. So he put their own money himself. Are you gonna complain that he's not native now so the movie's not authentic you have an anger in you vanessa that hurts you more than it helps you and it comes out work on that no everyone is against you 
<laughs> I think it's more the other way around. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't say anything, but I have noticed that it come out more and more over the years. Your anger will only hurt you as it sweeps out into wrong environments. Put that anger into your work, but make sure it's veiled in good <laughs> intentions or it will turn off your audience. My two cents. <laughs> I was in <laughs> shock. I was in shock. And then that person wrote me again. Sorry I jump on you. I sometimes feel like you don't like white people or you would like me more if I was brown. I hope you had a good birthday in New York City. I feel like she has a lot of anger. <laughs> they were going through something that day and you were the person that they decided to lash out on. That person is Caucasian and texts me that and texts me that I'm angry just because I said that this is a good show and I'm curious to know how everything works considering the director is not African. And I think knowing you for as long as I've known you, I genuinely feel that that was a genuine question not coming from like a discriminatory place. I think it genuinely was you just being curious and you are one of the most curious people I know. I'm wondering, would that situation have taken place if you added, let's say, I'm curious to know if this white director dealing with an African play is working with African choreographers, is donating proceeds to African artists. Why do I need to explain myself like that? I feel like it's part of your privilege that you think that you can address people the way you want and lash out. Are you crazy? Do not send me these messages if you don't want to hear my tongue. I need to add something to give more context they sent her this text on vanessa's birthday and during black history month so this is what i replied right because i was like you know what i'm gonna let it die but like i was thinking about it because i'm like having lunch with friends we're talking about life i'm having a great time and then i see this notification it's an angry person telling me that i'm angry and i'm like wait what the fuck is going on and I did the mistake of reading the message there. And of course, my energy completely changed. So anyway, this is what I reply. Hello, friend. Thanks for sending your angry messages. Apologies for not answering as quickly as I would like to because I was celebrating my birthday. And also, I wanted to wait for Black History Month to finish before I turned my focus on your fragility. Going back to The Lion King, a show that has been going on for 20 years where all art is African, but yet the director is a white woman. My question was simple. How does a show like that work? Is Julie Tamer working with African composers, designers, writers, and choreographers? Is she donating some of the profits that in 20 years have been over 9 billion to African Foundation? Plain and simple. Is someone that is profiting out of a different culture giving back to that culture? I think my questions are fair, and they're not related to you in any way. Now, you're telling me that I cannot have questions because this show was before my time. Slavery was before my time. Should have no question that either. This show is not before my time because I watched it two weeks ago. <laughs> and even if it was, I can question the hell out of it if I want to because that's the beauty of living in the free world. Not all white people are ethnocentric. Sounds a lot like not all men are the same and all lives matter. Simple put, you're missing the point. Not every brown person that has questions is attacking white people. Not every brown person that is angry is aiming that anger towards white people. Sometimes <laughs> it's the opposite. Like in this case, I feel your anger because you simply didn't like my question. Please, friend, do not be so fragile. My curiosity shouldn't threaten you. You're right about one thing. I am angry, but you have no idea where my anger comes from. Because you don't know me, you might have an idea who I am, but you don't know me or my history. What I say or do on social media is 12% of the person that I am, and you cannot simply categorize me as a brown person who is angry at white people. This might fit your narrative, but it doesn't fit mine because it's not true. I'm currently working on my anger because I'm curious to know and understand where it comes from. Are you currently working on your fragility? <laughs> Are you currently working on not telling brown people what to do with their anger? I've never told you what to do with your ignorance or your quick judgment, so it's mind-boggling 
when you tell me what to do with my anger. As a general rule, and this is for everybody who's white, if you're white, please do not tell people of color what to do with the anger. These are my two cents. <laughs> your lack of thought and empathy will hurt you as you see butts in the wrong environment. Put your free time into educating yourself and not lashing out on people of color, especially during Black History Month or whenever you just feel like it. Give your privilege a better use and stop trying to make everything about you. It's not. If what I say or do turn off my audience, this is great because that means that they were never my audience in the first place. Bye. I don't want an audience that conditions me to say only the things that they agree with. You mentioned that my anger gets worse through the years and it's scary to me that you're looking at yourself through me like a reflection because you simply don't know me. Lastly, you mentioned that I would like you more if you were brown. This kind of made me laugh, to be honest. We have worked together, blah, 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 or these things that we have done together that I don't want to mention. These are things that I would not do with someone that I simply don't like. Do I need to idolize you or consider you my savior for you to feel loved? Damn, girl. I think I lost a friend. <laughs> All I'm saying is I'm never sending you an angry message. <laughs> no, that was, I think, very, very apt. I learned so much from that. <laughs> I learned so many new words. <laughs> Initially, when I read the message, I wanted to send them a book called White Fragility. <laughs> because I was like, of course, this person is enraged and maybe they were not going to process my words because I'm a person of color. So let me give them the words from their own peers. So I wanted to send a book, but then I was like, fuck this. Let me answer this person. And that's what I said. I'm still getting over the fact that my friend pulled a total Karen. But I don't want to use Karen as a bad word. You know, if Karen is a name, it's like, no, not a punch. Wow. Like, it really didn't merit it didn't, yeah, that I don't attack, think that, yeah. you know. You didn't even give Vanessa a chance to ask her questions about the play to send her this whole fucking breakdown of what you think is going on you know mm. i'm really glad you sent that because that's how people self-reflect i hope she doesn't take this in a defensive way and actually reads and understands what you're trying to say and why are you making it personal she's asking about a work of art why are you getting into you have this anger and you're like you're making it so personal and it's scary that this person tells me over the years you know that the person have a serve me i thought this person was a friend some people might think that you know because the way i talk or because of my background that i immediately hate white people like i categorize and generalize all of them and that's not true if i categorize and generalize all of them i would just say that i'm scared of them really i'm scared of hurting their feelings because there's nothing more dangerous than a concussion person with their feelings hurt <laughs> i don't hate i don't hate I'm scared of people in general. I understand. And also, like, just speaking of anger, we all have anger issues. And they have nothing to do with, you know, the other person. It's more to do with our own history, how we've, you know, things that we've gone through. Or anger towards ourselves, mainly. To get personal, just from a curious question, that has to do with the person who's lashing out. It's mind-boggling that they have the nerve to, like, sit and dissect what they think is Vanessa's anger. It's like, you don't know me. And even if they did, knowing what you've been through and being an immigrant in this country and having to leave your home country and not being there in years and not being able to see your family and just being an outstanding, law-abiding, tax-overpaying immigrant... <laughs> This person will never know what it feels like to have to fight extra for the things that you want outside of your home country, away from your family. Don't fucking talk to me about your fucking, about what you think is my anger. Therapy. Go to therapy. It's so easy to lash out on an immigrant or a person of color. Just go to therapy, I, I promise you. Okay, all right.
Do you feel that you have achieved all the stuff you wanted to achieve by reaching 30s? Hell no. We passed 30 now. <laughs> <laughs> But no, definitely not. Are the 40s the new 30s? What's going on? Ugh. Ugh. I don't think anything <laughs> is anything. I think one just has to take one day at a time. About goals and dreams and everything, I've been pretty like jaded about that. So I think right now I'm just trying to, I don't know, find peace somewhere and just take one day at a time. I don't know what is the next 30 or the next 40 or what the goals are anymore. I think the only goal is to have mental peace. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> When I was in my early 20s, I had this friend who was much older than me and he was super wise, great artist. I asked him once, what is your ultimate goal in life? After having expressed that mine would be to become rich and super successful. And my friend's simple answer was to reach the peak of my spirituality. And I was like, what? I was like so shallow and young. I don't know what the fuck he was talking about. And then fast forward years later, and I'm like, oh my God, that is the ultimate goal. Money, no money. Obviously money helps. But whatever the circumstances of life around you, if you have mental peace, then you're good, bro. You're good. Yeah. But it's so hard to attain. Like, how do I achieve that without being a monk secluded somewhere in Tibet? By detaching yourself from ego. That has been from my own spiritual practice and like what my yoga teacher and all these other different gurus that I, you know, listen to, follow, work with. The only thing they always say is God has given you everything, but God did not give you ego. That was man-made. And if you can detach yourself from that, because us wanting these things, right, our aspirations or whatever, if we are so attached to the outcome, that's not us. It's your ego that's attached to the outcome. Yeah. So it's kind of like finding a perfect balance between being able to have a happy, content life, but also not being super attached to the outcome of anything. And I totally understand detaching yourself from your ego. And at the same time, I feel that it's your ego at times that can push you forward. Oh, yeah. And tells you, okay, pick it up. Don't you want those paparazzi things? <laughs> Move on, bitch. Finish that pilot. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it can be used in a very constructive way as well. It's just, it should not be the main driver. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, this is it, ladies. Thank you so much for giving me your time and for having these conversations. For this episode, we're donating to World Central Kitchen, an organization that is giving meals to people in Ukraine and that is led by Chef Jose Andres. Thank you to every listener. Stay tuned for the next episode. Yay! Bye! D-I-T-T. D-I-T-T. Dead. D-I-T-T. Dead.